The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to The Roadbook with Ned Bolting and David Miller, part of the Never Strays Far family of podcastery. I haven't seen you for a couple of days. What have you been doing? I've been busy. I've been really busy. I was out at this place called Grantley Hall where we were doing some Chapter 3 things where we'd organise a couple of rideouts with our customers. And, and uh, I, uh, it was amazing. But it meant I was actually 20 kilometres, well, 15, 20 kilometres outside of Harrogate, which has been quite nice because I got to see a bit of the countryside, do some bike rides around there use their crazy gym, have nice dinners. And I came back in on Thursday evening, obviously, because we had our show. Yep, with Thomas Vuckler and Chad Hager. Yes, I should talk about our show, yeah. actually. Um, and yes, so that's when I last saw you. And then I was out in the country, rode into Harrogate both days and yep. stopped here at the, the bike shop here, Prologue. So I've actually been more on the other side of the barriers with our customers and fans and, yep. and just hanging out and soaking it all up. Which is, a ma- which is a massive part of the World Championships, isn't it? I hadn't really realised that, but it is. It's just a big, it's a big part of it. And it's a bit unlike, because it stays, the finish line is always in the same place. So it's got that festival feel about it. it that's so different from some most other stage races. Completely. Well, it's not a stage is, race. So well, yeah, it's com- yeah, it feels I like mean a stage race. It isn't a stage race. It's a bunch a, of that's it. Races. It feels like a stage race, but it isn't. It's, um, it's races uh, in stages. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but what happens is, and this, this is why after our show, I went out and met up with some friends, and it was like the whole cycling industry was here, yep. and they're having this big Christmas party. Yes, and yeah. you know you kept bumping and going somewhere else, and somebody's like, "Well, let's go somewhere else." Yeah, and you end up, and it's it's kind of it ends up actually being quite a big networking event, and and also but with everybody's hair down, enjoying it. So it's as much about the industry as it is about the fans, and there's this lovely mixing of industry people. Uh, ex-racers, fans, and locals. And so it's this uh, it's, it's a kind of smorgasbord of, of the local scene and also the international scene. So it's, it's, it's been, it was great fun. And, uh, yeah. and, and I think, I mean, we noticed it as well with, uh, with our show, the eclecticness of the audience there is, is brilliant. And that's one of the things of the World Championships as well. Yeah. It was... Well, the, there's, a le- there's a lady I've just been introduced to. It, we're down in one of the hospitality tents at the finish line right now, which is what you can hear in the background. And by the way, we are now watching the official start of the women's, the elite women's road race, 150 kilometers. They've just gone and uh, we're waiting to see the first attack. So what we'll do with this podcast, David, is we'll, 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 we'll um, sort of bring you the result later on, right towards the end, right? It's, it's live podcasting. It's kind of, yeah, we haven't really figured out how we're going to do it. But anyway, what I want to say is I've been introduced to this lady who's been here every single day. Um, and the reason that she's here is because she's an enthusiast. She's a big cycling fan, and she lives out on the circuit. And um, 
her road is closed every single day at 8.30 in the morning. So she has to, to get here, she has to leave dead early. So she's been hanging around waiting for this hospitality tent to open. But she's the first person to come through the door. And she lives on the circuit right at Puddle Corner. From, do you remember? Like the yeah. depth charge, depth charge oh, wow. corner. Yeah, right, that's right outside her drive. Oh, and she was here. And she yeah. had to see it. She missed yeah, it. She exactly. could have been there. She missed the iconic <laughs> moment by being like, here instead. Oh, brilliant. Um, but it's been... Um, someone pointed out to me, uh, quite rightly, actually, last night on social media, that there have been... Uh, it was quite a touching observation, and it's true. There have been a lot of tears. Yeah, you're right, actually. There have been a lot of, of riders in tears at these mm. World Championships to this point. And... Um, very often the riders who have been caught on camera, caught on camera sounds like they're doing something illicit, they're not, they're just demonstrating that they're a human, observed by the cameras crying, have been very young. Mm. And um, it's been, I've found it quite upsetting, but it's, a, a, but it's a, you know, so it started with Gomez, the, the Colombian rider, who was, uh, oh, which race was it? Help me now. Was it the junior, was junior men's junior. road race? Yeah. yeah and, and he was left by the side of the road and the convoy had gone and the Couldn't broom he was out of the yeah. bubble yeah. And, and, and on his own. And, and by the way, he finished the race. I had to see him sort of like coming up, you know, 10 minutes down in the end. But that was heartbreaking to see him there. Absolutely heartbreaking. You know, and it's, it's true when you're younger. It's, I, I remember doing the junior worlds in, in San Marino and stopping around the course and crying. Really? Yeah, I was because I'd gone to the Worlds, I come from Hong Kong, I was under-trained, but I'd been pre-selected, and came to the San Marino Junior, junior Worlds, so this is 1995, and it was an incredibly hard course, and I wasn't fit enough anyway, because I'd only been on the bike about four weeks after my A-levels, and uh, I stopped halfway through, because I was dropped in the first lap, and then I kept riding through, and it was really hilly, and in the back of the circuit, where there was nobody, I sat, got off my bike, sat down and cried, so I was like... I'm much better. I'm, I'm much better than this, and that was what really kicked me in from that moment on to to prove to the world that I was better than that. But you're young, and yeah. you're, it, it means so much to you at the time. It's everything, and I think so as you get, you get a bit older, do you get better? To, do you get better at, at absorbing failure? Exactly. And relativizing. Yeah. It. I, I yeah, guess at the moment you think that's it. That my one chance has been taken away from me. That's you know? it. Everything's in the future. Yeah. And you worried that if it goes wrong here or something, it's your future's over. Uh, but as you get older and you go through the the ranks and you you learn to amortize, let's say, failure and mix and and also be magnanimous in in your success, you start to manage your your feelings and you start to get better at understanding that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad day. But when you're younger, it, it can feel like it's the end of the world. And yeah. as you get older, you just have to recognise it's it's a bad day. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. but it's and I say, but it's it's interesting, and it goes to show that we must always be quite careful with those young riders. It's very important the entourage they have around them that can help teach them how to handle that. Yeah. Because that's how things can also go wrong. You can see the pressure they're under. Yeah. And the expectations they put upon themselves, and how much it means to them. And it's so easy for them to take the wrong, make the wrong choices, choose the wrong people to yeah. to, to guarantee success. And so that we must never forget how important the entourage is, from the parents, the coaches, to the sponsors, to the organisers, to the fans, to yeah. the media. The, the, you must respect these kids because they are, they are children. So if we've, learned the, if we've learned that about racers, I think we've also learned once again or been reminded of just what a brutal profession this, these young riders have committed themselves to because the, in the conditions that have prevailed all week, it has been... I mean, at times it's been almost unwatchable because it's been so, so full of jeopardy around every corner and the numbers of crashes and the violence of the crashes have been, it's just been exceptional. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's a good job that we haven't had more broken bones, to be honest, to this point. Yeah, it is. And I think it's, I mean, in certain races, and it, it's, 
it's a given. The junior road race is always known as being an absolute... Very crashy. Oh, oh. it's a shitstorm out there. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and it is. And it's, I remember when I did it, you, part of the way your, your journey to success in a junior road race, in any road race, or worlds in particular, is avoiding the crashes. Yeah. Because they don't even come at defined moments. No. It's like there's just get you get carpet bombed at once just randomly. <laughs> carpet bombed. <laughs> uh, and you just have no idea. And so <laughs> part of the part of the skill of being a junior is either to just get off the front yeah. and get away from it, yeah. like the junior winner did. Yeah. But or just make sure you're at the front making the race, never actually in the Peloton. Yeah, there's, there've been a number of um so there've been some really kind of like awful almost un- unwatchable hard crashes, but there've also been a number of really heartening comedic crashes. Oh yeah. It started with slide Riding boy, you yeah, know, the longest brilliant. slide in the history of cycling, then followed by depth charge boy um, at the, the, uh, the junior time trial. But it's continued all week with a succession of riders going head over heels into soft verges and down yeah. irrigation ditches by the <laughs> sides of fields, which must be, after the rain we've had, half filled, oh, you know, a metre of, like, ditch water. And manure. And uh, yeah, yeah, mixed with manure. Riders emerging with Cow bits of urine. fern sticking out yeah. of their helmet and all oh. that sort of thing and back off. So it's been amazing. Um, but the most recent uh, of, the, of the tearful riders happened last night, David. I was here... Um, to watch the culmination of the under-23 men's road race. And it was br- a brilliant race. It was a brilliant race. Um, consistently throughout the, the, the 180 kilometres of the race, it was full on, as it had been earlier on in the day for the... Uh, uh, which race was it earlier on in the day? The junior women. Um, so, but, but, but there was a hell of an atmosphere here last night because Tom Pidcock had made the final selection that came to the foot of the, the Parliament Street as one. Um, and... What's quite interesting about that was with the length, so you've got this, you've got this climb up to Betty's, mm-hmm. yeah, and then the road sort of flattens out, and it's, but it's a long way from Betty's to the finish line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And because of the length of that flat section, it seems to neutralise anybody's ambition to attack on that little yeah. ramp. It's too far, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so this had the effect of pulling the handbrake on that, that sprint completely yeah. until they came to the line, and, the, you know, there the, the weren't great margins between some four, first and fifth but the rider who finished in first place Niels Eekhoff Sunweb rider um, from from the Netherlands team uh, well they didn't present the jersey for over an hour and when they did they didn't present it to him because oh. he had to leave um, the, the, the holding area behind the podium accompanied by one of the Swanyers from the Dutch team in floods of tears having been disqualified for an offence of drafting that had happened, as I understand it, 120 kilometres out from the finish line. Wow! It's a head scratcher, isn't it? And do they? How do they? Did they? Uh, how would I put it? How do they define that that happened? Was it transported well, data? Was so it here's TV a, so images? I think, I think it's VAR, right? I think right. it's um, it's this it's this uh, van that mm-hmm. the UCI have commandeered that is present yep. at the Tour de France as well, where they have access to not just the broadcast cut. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously yeah. images are being recorded from all the cameras all the time, but mm-hmm. only certain ones get cut up on live, as yes, you very well know. Um, so they, I think, went back and caught some unbroadcast footage, which uh, didn't look particularly good no. for Aikoff. I mean, no. the, the, the race, he crashed. He was, he was trying to get back on. The race was full on, as it had been yeah. all day. And he most certainly took no. advantage no. of at least a bumper. Yeah. Uh, for over a kilometre and then an- on another occasion behind another bumper for over a couple of kilometres yeah. by all accounts and, and also I think there's a suspicion of an overly long sticky bottle at one point as well hmm. so the evidence is fairly damning yeah. so I'm not really going to contest his guilt because hmm. I think from what I gather he infringed the regulations quite obviously um, 
what I'm going, what my complaint, my my issue, and I think most people's issue come with uh, the the uh, procedure that was um, that was brought to bear on him. In other words, you, you, he should have been disqualified on the race. Yeah, should and, have and hooked off the race because he actually his pr- forget about the fact that he won. His presence in that final group affected, affected the race. It. Yeah, so that should have happened much earlier. That decision, and secondly. Um, and this is a much broader issue that has to be sorted out somehow. There's got to be more consistency about what is and what isn't acceptable. In our commentary, David, I often defer to you on this, and I say, we go, okay, is that all right? Well, and you quite often say in commentary, okay, round about now it stops being all right. Yeah. But you're, yeah. Uh, you're making it up, aren't you? You've just got it's a sense a, of what might or might not be wrong. Yeah, being a, I mean, we, we call referees commissaires, obviously. I think probably calling them referees would be easier, especially as the, the, the language become, becomes more anglicised. But uh, the best referees have a certain amount of discretion and they're able to, to read the race situation uh, and make the judgment call because a lot of these decisions, they're not black and white. There, there are moments where you can allow a certain amount of discretion. If somebody's had a mechanical or a crash uh, at, an, at an inopportune moment, let's say it wasn't even their fault. Let's, let's imagine that it was a fan or something or, or something bad in the, on the road, the, the, like a puddle you would perhaps say, okay, let's give them a little bit of leeway to get back to the race because even if they get back on, they're going to be affected. And it's, so there, there is the, those moments, but it must never be at a moment, I think, when it's, when it's properly race-defining. Yeah. When it's at the sharp end of the race where things are happening, then it's instantaneous. Yeah. But at that moment, uh, I think if we go back and look at this case, yes, it was wrong and it should have been disqualified in the race uh, or at least put on the race radio and warning so people were aware of this and they knew something was going to be done. But then we have to go back and look at, be interesting to find out, maybe we can find out today, is how the race is refereed here. How many, because obviously the race is very chaotic at that point, yeah. and it's very hard for the commissaires to see everything. I mean, we say it's ripped to pieces. So my understanding is this, this whole issue was raised post, post-race, post yeah. and I think it came from a complaint from another team. Yeah, okay. So that's, they're the people that would see which, it. You're in the convoy. Hence the delay, because yeah. only at that point did they start to analyse yeah. the video evidence. So that's where you need. I mean, that's this again, this is where ASO are actually the best race organisers in the world. This is a UCI organised event. Uh, ASO have the most experience, and what they do at their events, especially the Tour de France, they have numerous motorbike referees with the red helmets. Yeah. I don't know what it is, maybe five yeah. or six. That's independent of the red cars you see. Yeah. And they're all always whizzing around, filling in the gaps of the cars. Yeah. So they, and, they're, and everyone's terrified of them. <laughs> you see a red helmet coming, every car's going to pull over. But there is a chance that here, they saw there was no commissaire around, and it's, it's cheating. Uh, you, you think you're helping your, your rider, but you also know you wouldn't do it if you saw a commissaire. So that does mean you know you're doing something wrong. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so but, that's a big grey area there. But there's a, there's, a, there's a certain sort of hard fact of racing. Isn't it? I mean, cars are going to be in races. Yeah. They, are, they have to be there. So cars, there will always be cars in races. Yeah. It cannot be otherwise. And, um, and uh, so it's not like they seek them out. Like it's, well, this, is, like, this is where the barrage is. So this is where the, ba- the, the barrage, 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 where the barrage is very interesting. So that's yeah. where yeah. if there's a crash, uh, what they'll do is they'll pull the cars back yeah. and keep them out from interfering in the race. And so that's the same. The barrage will also happen if, hypothetically, let's say, a small group gets caught out in an echelon or it starts to go echelons. And, you, and we all see those classic images of the echelons going into the f- a few kilometers up the road. You, you won't see cars in between them until there's a minute gap between each of them. 
And then the moment that the groups come within a minute to get into the group, they pull the cars out yeah. so that that group can't catch on and piggyback the, wheel, the, the wheels, the, the draft of the cars. Now, once they get to a certain point, they do let it go because they see this an inevitability. But the barrage is something that is quite hard to manage. And often in a race like yesterday, be really, would have been really hard to manage. I think. Yeah. It would have been impossible, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, Eichhoff has, has taken to social media and he's issued, a, he's issued really quite a moving statement. He says, world champion, that feeling but it only lasted for 15 minutes. I'm proud of my performance and help from everybody around me working towards this race. Although I suffered serious pain from a dislocated shoulder, by the way, in the crash, the crash early in the race never stopped me from fighting for my ultimate goal. To hear they disqualified me uh, was and is a big shock to me. I understand the rules of cycling, but truly think this decision is inappropriate. What means consistency to the UCI is a question I want to find out. But for now, I will never, ever forget these best 15 minutes of my life. I'll be back. Which is pretty much all he can do, isn't it? Because yeah. he's a phenomenal talent. All right, well, let's put that one to bed, David, and, um, and, um, and talk about our show because you touched on it earlier. We did a, a show on Saturday night just before the world's got underway. And then on Thursday night, we had uh, Phil Liggett in conversation mm-hmm. with us, which was great fun. We had uh, Thomas Vuckler talking about Julien Alaphilippe and his own career because Vuckler's here as the, the French road coach, uh, and, um, which is a huge kind of elevation for him from, from huge. as far as I understand it, pretty much zero. DS experience, yeah. so that would be interesting. Um, and he was brilliant on stage. But m- for me, the highlight was when we got Chad, and this, this had, had required careful negotiation on my part for months to convince Chad Hager, the American time trialist, to come on stage with his little surprise that he had in store for us. And it really worked, didn't it? Oh, it was amazing. And it was, it was so unexpected because, just to explain what the show was, we started with doing a little bit of a, a review of the year of sorts, yeah. uh, just to kind of paint the picture and uh, something I'd never done before. You've obviously got quite a lot of stage experience after Tour de Ned yeah. and your, and your one-man shows. But this was something that was new to both of us, trying a show where we'd go on and, yeah. and both be the, yeah. the sort of characters, if you like. Rather, because I've done it lots in the past where I'm just the interviewee. Oh, yeah. Which is a cakewalk. It's a totally different thing. You just, yeah. so, just walk on stage, <laughs> sit down and answer questions. Whereas this was very different. So thank yeah. goodness you were there to carry it. But we did a little bit of a review of the year. Uh, with some images and little videos you cut together and so a little bit audio-visual experience as yeah. well, dare we say. Uh, then Tommy V came on and he was brilliant. And it's, it, it's the thing I love about Tommy V is he's, got, he's such a different person to what people expect. Yeah, isn't he? Because he, he created this persona when he was a professional cyclist that, that arguably was, uh, was a mask. Yeah. To what he actually is. He's, he's very, quite spiky. He's very spiky. He's very spiky. And he's you wouldn't smart, mess with him. And he's smart. And he's, yeah. he's, he's sp- he speaks English, yeah. which for his generation of French cyclists is very rare. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he's a French national coach, but he's also, he, he does the, the TV motorbike job for French TV. So yeah, he's a pa- yeah, pundit yeah. on the road sort of thing. I think he's really good. I'd love to hear his broadcast. Actually. I think it'd be really good. Yeah. So, and, and he remains a very big star in France. Yeah. And, and he's just fairly rolls. And also he's got his role with ASO. Yeah, whereas yeah, Bernardino yeah. now, yeah. he's kind of goes he's to the, the podium. So he's got, it's quite multifarious, Tommy V, which in many ways, again, is, is quite rare for a French cyclist. Yeah. But so we had a, a lovely chat with him and got a bit of insight into Julian Alaphilippe and the I, French I, team. Bit, I, I'd like up just as a gag because it's a private joke isn't it well it's not a private joke it's just a good joke um the begbie thing 
Yeah, yeah. You know, have Alaphilippe. But I, I knew, I th- well, I was assumed Vukla would be totally nonplussed by it. So yeah. as soon as I introduced the name Julian Alaphilippe, we queued, uh, we queued a shot of Begbie chucking a pint glass over his <laughs> yeah. shoulder and like, a woman screaming, just a little sort of three-second clip. Uh, and um, I didn't think it would mean anything to him. But he turned around, looked at it, and he, his face lit up. And he went, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, Begbie, uh, train spotting, uh, train spotting. Yeah. And they thought that was great, didn't he? And he was like, I hope he does that after the race. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's what he said. Yeah. I hope Julian will be doing this after the race, chucking a Pint yeah. glass over his shoulder because he's renowned yeah. as being a bit of a party animal, Julian Alaphilippe. So I think he's I just think like Tommy just, as well. Yeah, like, they yeah. are most of us are. <laughs> some anyway, level. so Chad, Chad came on, and Chad is the anti vuckler because he's he's quite shy, he's quite super quiet. And also, and, it's also, and what I think, which is how it all played out, I hadn't realised, and I think you did. They'd never actually played on stage like this, and no, this, is a, and this no. is a stunt. It was a beautiful theatre, eight hundred people in there, eight hundred people, beautiful Edwardian <laughs> theatre. Like couldn't it's it's like something out of a dream or a yeah. nightmare depending yeah. on how it goes, and so actually what people would have seen was this nervous kind of American kid talking to us, but actually I I could see him sort of like wrestling with his hands. He was clearly just shitting himself. He, he we had to get him a beer. Yeah, <laughs> like when he was sitting waiting yeah, to come yeah. on. He um. Bear in mind, he's racing on Sunday. He raced the day yeah. before. He's in the middle of his world championships in his greatest you know, season. Yeah. So he won a stage of the Giro. But anyway, he'd been practicing for months that piece that he played. Yeah. And he, he, so he played the grand piano that we lined up for him. And he played a bit of um, Spanish classical music. And we were silent movie style. We had um, sort of four or five minutes of shots of him winning his, his um, fantastic uh, time trial victory, stage 21 of the Giro, yeah. which, which almost like he accompanied. And it were, I, I was so pleased with the way it worked because he could have heard a pin drop. And then people were standing to their, you know, getting up on their feet yeah, and giving the guy a standing ovation yeah. when it came to a close. It was a spine tingler. I oh, it was beautiful. And, what, and what's amazing about that sort of thing, because it's in such an incongruous setting, yeah. I don't, there's a lot of people in that room will have never, ever seen or heard anything like that in their life. So it's not the also, sort of thing they've gone to. And it strayed quite a long way from cycling. Yeah, it? uh, strayed. It's, it's, about strayed as, it's probably our biggest stray to date <laughs> in a, in a, in a theatre situation as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, so that was good. And then after the break, then we had a break. And then after the break, we had Phil Liggett, who was on fantastic form. I, I, honestly, I'd never heard some of well, Almost all of those stories yeah. I'd never heard before. Oh, he was brilliant. And he, was, uh, and he really did take to that interviewee role. Yeah. He was very loose. Yeah. And, yeah. And kind of and enjoying it. Yeah. Loving it. Yeah. And it was just, it was really cool as well. So, yeah. yeah, and then I hung out with him afterwards and took him to a little party. Yeah. And I had breakfast with him the following morning, yeah. David. And I said, because yeah. he's done 47 tours. And neither of us knew this, that he'd never yeah. missed a day of those Shit. 47 tours. Not one. Not once. Amazing. So he's, he's kind of committing. For, he's got, the Americans will um, have said, you know, you retire whenever you want to. It's entirely up to you. Phil said, no, I'm definitely going to do next year. Yeah. And then I'll probably, call, you know, he's kind of saying to me, I'll probably call it a day. And I said, what? So you're going to do 48 yeah. and then just go, no, I'm not going to get to 50. And he goes, oh, I'll never. And he said, oh, I won't get to 50. I won't get to 50. And I've never heard such rubbish in all my life. Yeah, of course he's going to do 50. Go for 50. Then 51, because so. that's a magic number. Then <laughs> 51, why not? <laughs> anyway, um, so there we go. The, uh, the women's road race, let's just have a look at the monitor. I don't think much has happened yet. Well, this is, this is one of the things, so this is where I've been riding around. It's absolutely stunning to Where get are from. they? Where is that, David? Uh, I, I don't know the name of it, because, but I know I rode by reservoirs and lakes yesterday, two of them. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's also incredibly hard. Yeah. The roads just never stop, up, down, left, right, and, it's, uh, and then the wind. So this run into the Harrogate circuit, uh, no matter where they're coming from, is pretty epic. Yeah. And it's going to have a huge effect on all of the races. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's a bit of a lazy cliche sometimes, I think, to talk about local riders having local knowledge 
and sometimes it's less relevant than other times. But David, today it really matters, doesn't it? It's huge. I mean, because of the because of the nature of these roads. So there's two things with local knowledge. It's the fact that uh, you time goes by quicker because you can you can segmentize the course much better because you know them so intimately. Huh, so it makes okay. everything yeah. makes it gives your perception of time and distance go quicker, which is an amazing thing and a huge advantage. But with local knowledge, obviously comes home crowd. So you get the double whammy. So you get yep. local knowledge, home crowd. Now the only per, the only negative of this, unless you manage it well, is the, the expectations and the pressure. Yep. And that's where the difference between the kind of the goods and the greats are. And I think with Lizzie Dignan today, I think she's proven that she can handle pressure. But it's, uh, this is going to be one of the biggest days of her life, and it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. Phil, her husband Phil, who we work with on ITV, is coming down a bit. Who we nicknamed Phil Noir, don't we? Phil Noir, yes. There's a dark side to Phil. Is, yes, there is a little bit of a dark <laughs> side to Phil. <laughs> anyway, he's coming down, so we might have a natter with him. All right, uh, stepped outside now, um, and uh, it's uh, the, the the elite women's road race still underway, about halfway through, and uh, Phil Dignan's just arrived. Were you at the start today, Phil? No, no. So I was obviously busy, pretty busy this morning. More babysitting. Yeah, getting her ready, getting her fed, getting her changed, and and, and just came straight here to the finish because you know we got the setup here. We can see see things properly, and uh, would have loved to be in Bradford for the start, but um, but yeah, we just came directly here. But we've been we've we've had this sort of scenario all week. Lizzie's been staying across town, about three k away from us, and um, it was sort of very surreal dropping her off to her accommodation back on Tuesday, and then driving over even though it's like you know it, it seems it seems just unreal to be doing it but uh but it was good to get her in the in the zone and and and, and switch on for the race have you have you been able to follow the first half of the race because it's been really interesting um and on the evidence of what i've seen she looks sharp i mean really sharp yeah yeah, yeah. um we got down here uh, about 10k after the start so we've seen everything um the race has gone as expected, I think uh, we knew the Dutch would, would race very aggressively and push it hard on on the climbs. Um, I'm not surprised that she's as sharp as she is because I've I've, I've been uh, doing a few hard motor pacing sessions with her. Doing you know I've been I, I can I can see she's come out of Holland ladies to her very strong. So, so so she knew she knew the Dutch would attack with their three big hitters. Uh, and sure enough, Van Vluten was pretty much the obvious made the obvious move on on Lofthouse climb. Um, but then I thought what was really interesting was that Lizzie, rather than just riding tempo, decided to rip that chase group in half. And by doing that, I mean, she's got rid of a few riders, including Voss. Yeah, I think that was, that was the main tactic there, just to get rid of the Dutch girls, try to get that. That's a really good, cohesive working group now. OK, we've got uh, van der Breggen sitting on the back. Um, but everyone else is invested. But everybody else, it's a, it's a perfect size, really. And as you can see, what we're looking at it here at the moment is 78k to go. And... So Van Vluten's got a 50-second gap, and that's, that's been stable over the last 10K or something. It did get up to about 115, but they brought it back to 50K. Uh, I'm sorry, 50 seconds. That, that's all right, isn't it? It's manageable at this point. I think it's manageable. I think, uh, you know, as long as this, this group keeps working together, they look organized, uh, there's no panic. I think it's going to work into Lizzie's hands. The only problem is how long the amount of kilometers that Van der Breggen can set on the back, really. Um, but I didn't think she looked too strong on Lofthouse. Uh, oh. and, and, you know, the obvious big surprise there with Voss because she came into the race previous favourite. So I think we're in, a, we're in a great position in that there's only one Dutch rider here. I think in, a, in another scenario, we might have had two 
or maybe even three sitting on the back of this group, which would have really totally messed things up. Um, so, but the main thing we can see here, Lizzie, she's looking really strong and she's up for it. Um, so nervous. Uh, yes. You will be for sure. I mean, like, you've, I mean, like, if she's in with a chance of goals, it's going to be you're going to be a bag of nerves, aren't you, towards you? I mean, it's been a huge build-up. You know, it's been um, it's been not a, like a, a perfect build-up either in terms of health. She's had a few little niggles along the way, which has really unsettled her confidence a bit. But um, you know, d- definitely the last sort of two, three weeks, everything has clicked, and she's felt she's felt strong. So it's just about reassurance and, and confidence going into this race and. Um, yeah, it's just looking great. So, I might get another beer just to get yeah. me get me through the end. <laughs> you will, knowing you, you will. Yeah, and these predictions you've made will either look gloriously accurate by the time this podcast goes out, or misguided. Uh, let's find out what happens at the end. Good luck, Phil. Cheers, Ned. Well, it's now fifty-eight point seven kilometres to go, and they're not far from the Harrogate Circuit now. And I'm whispering a bit, David, because it's a bit less, I think there's probably less reason to be optimistic about this one because Van Vluten has an advantage that's nearly a minute and a half now and she's going to be tough to catch. Very tough. And it's uh, at first it looked like an absolute kamikaze, sacrificial lamb-style move from Van Vluten where she would be sent off the front and allow her teammates behind to then just sit in the wheels and use it to their advantage. But Van Vluten, uh, she's... I think she's just holding her pace. Meanwhile, the Lizzie Dignan group is slowing down because the chase group behind them is closing in. So if you like, the, the actual peloton, which is at three minutes now from Van Vluten, uh, that time gap has stabilized. Meanwhile, uh, the Dignan group is slowing down. They're now a minute and a half from Van Vluten. So it's the, the one group on the road at the moment, which is, is in, bad, in a bad way, relatively, is the Dignan group. And is that, uh, it's just the politics of that group, right? Are they, do you think they're all leaning on, on Diagon a little bit too much and she's just in a very difficult position there? I think they know how much this means to her. I mean, I, she does look like she's the strongest. She's racing the most aggressively. She's, I, I think they're, they're worried about her. They're worried about the Dutch riders. For, although this is a, a really solid group she's in, with the key nations represented, the majority of them, the key riders... I think they, they all think they're on a hiding to nothing now, either from Lizzie Dignan or the Dutch. So none of them are very committed, and they almost want the, group, the race to come back together to then reboot. On the other hand, it has stabilised now. So that gap, it was going out, and the last five, six kilometres, no, no change. So it's still 128. So delicately poised, but um, not quite as, uh, as promising as uh, when Lizzie Dignan first sort of ripped this group off the front. In the meantime, the Germans are chasing very hard. I think for Lisa Brennauer, uh, at the front of the peloton. So it could, could yet be that peloton comes all back together again, but va- someone's got to get to Van Vluten in the first place. Meantime, the hospitality tent is filling up. Pat McQuaid is here. Elia Viviani is here. I'm sitting next to Vin Denson, uh, who is a teammate of Tommy Simpson, and Brian Robinson's here as well. And those two boys are in deep conversation, aren't they, at the moment? Uh, they are, and I literally just got a photo taken of me with them, which I'm within the process of putting on Instagram. <laughs> so. Fanboy, fanboy. And I've also spotted Charlton Athletic and Leeds United's and England, England's player. There's Bob Stapleton. Uh, Danny Mills and Bob Stapleton has just walked in, and he is now saying hello to David Miller. It's all happening in the hospitality tent. Well, uh, everything's changed. Now we're um, pretty much in the last 20k or something like that. 
and the race dynamics have been lit up again by another incredible attack by another American. Chloe Digert has ripped that group apart and is uh, clear on her own in second place now. Finding it hard, admittedly, to, to do anything about Annemiek van Vluten, but uh, she's changed everything. And a man who will be able to judge uh, the efficacy and, and the wisdom of that move and quite how talented this rider is, is standing right next to me, Bob Stapleton, who British cycling fans, in fact, global cycling fans, will remember with great fondness as the man in charge of those golden years of Columbia HTC back in the day with Mark Cavendish a decade ago, Bob. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you know, Chloe Digert's a phenom. We've had a couple of fantastic American athletes in history. She reminds me a lot of Kristen Armstrong, a three-time Olympic uh, gold medalist in the time trial. So for 12 years, she was the best there was. She coaches Chloe. I was going to say she's her coach, isn't she? Because she, when she won the time trial, Bob, she looked... I mean, she just looked fast, right? She looked head and shoulders. Her position was just perfect, wasn't it? And she just looked a class apart in terms of that discipline. Well, you know, Kristen was brilliant at peaking at the right time, and Chloe has learned that and been trained the same way. And she had Ina Teutenberg in the car with her, and Ina is the most successful uh, woman athlete, uh, women cyclist uh, probably on the planet. So that's a great combination. Chloe gets the support she needs, but... You know, she's, she's a phenom, and, you know, a great athlete makes everybody look really smart. <laughs> and, and listen, all across the board, Americans have been ripping their heads off the race, haven't they? Just amazing success. Did you anticipate this flood of, of medals? Well, I felt really good about our juniors. We have a lot of good young athletes coming into the sport, and we've got a very active development program that's very focused on juniors. We bring them over, and uh, we house them in Limburg in the Netherlands. They race the European races you know, all season, and that group of uh, American men that really just dominated the junior race, they've been racing together for a good six months, and you know, six months each year the last two years. And that guy who won is uh, also kind of a one of a kind. But they were brilliant, they rode great as a team, and I'm super proud of that. The greatest performance by any American during the World Championships so far, Bob, you may not have been aware of, it happened on the stage of the Royal Hall on Thursday nights when Chad Hager joined us on stage and gave us a virtuoso classical piano performance in front of 800 people. Did you know he was that good? I had no idea. He's amazing, Bob. <laughs> well, you know, it's too bad they don't give a jersey for that. I'm sure he loved that. Okay, just finally, do you think she's going to hold off this group? She's got about, what, a 20 second, 20 second advantage? It's going to be tough, isn't it? She attacked a long way out. Well, you know, I think this is her plan. You know, if, I, if, I, if we're not going to work together and catch, catch the leader, then I'm going to go solo and make you catch me for silver. Wow. A gold and a silver, if she can do that, that'd be some return, wouldn't it? So. That'd be something, and she, she may pull it off. Brilliant stuff. Cheers, Bob. Nice to see you. Bye-bye. Well, the sun is out now. The wind has died down. Warm sunshine. And Annemiek van Fluten just outside 1K to go for the first time since she attacked at just over 104 kilometers, dared to look over her shoulder to see that she was clear. And then a great big smile broke out across her features, which have been full of pain and full of concentration ever since this extraordinary, audacious long-range attack because she knows with a lead of over two minutes that she has got nobody who is going to threaten her or deny her this gold medal that's so far in her career has eluded her completely. And here in the finishing straight, as she comes to the line with 100 metres to go, Polish flags, Irish flags, Italian flags, Slovakian flags, and right at the finish line, a huge Dutch flag flutters in this late afternoon sunshine 
in Harrogate here to celebrate a worthy, worthy World Road Race champion in Annemiek van Fluten, who did it in extraordinary style. The rest of the race, well, they're going to come over the line in bits and pieces, isolated riders, and it's going to be a Dutch one-two. Anna van der Breggen will finish in second place, and I think Amanda Spratt is going to hold on for third. That was a ride for the ages, and Annemiek van Fluten will be wearing those rainbow bands for a full calendar year, starting now. Well, that was not what we expected, that's for sure. No, and I'll be honest. Can I be honest? Yes, you may. Always honest in in this podcast. There is something uh, less dramatic about seeing riders. It's, oh, you've just been recognised by somebody somebody here from from the UCI delegation. From the Guatemalan Federation? And you are... Ah, David Miller is is a very important... You think he's a big guy, yeah? No, he's a super guy. This is super white. This is the most important rider from the world. David Miller is. Oof. You sure you know who this is? David Miller. You, yeah, okay. This is David Miller. I, most l- I love you, man. Rider in the world. Yeah, for me, yeah. Wow. David. Manuel Rodriguez. Manuel Rodriguez. Yeah, that's it. That's take your picture. Yeah. Because David Miller is a leader from the tour. He is. And the Vuelta. Yeah. And the Giro. And the Giro. Yeah. Yes, it's super important. Thank you, you know, President. Yeah, yeah. there we go. And now David Miller is posing, and he's grinning from <laughs> ear to ear. He's, 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 he's dead. No, he's alive. Oh, what? Yeah. Because he's an icon. He's different. I, I remember that is Oakley. No, no, don't smile because David, you have Oakley. Yeah. Yeah, and the over-the-top ones. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I I buy that <laughs> because David. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Oh well, that's amazing. I was not even aware of that. And it's an icon from America. Is you should you should invite him. Do you have like a big gala festival every year? I have a big a big vuelta Guatemala. Get him. Get David Miller to go to Guatemala. Come to Guatemala. We have chapter three customers in Guatemala. Twenty-three October and twenty-one of November. Ten ten stage. UCI yeah. 2.3, yeah. If can him who does is oof. Get him on a bike, he might win it. No, yeah, he's come. He's the be- most important bike rider there's Let's ever swap been. details. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Yeah. We're, we're carry on. We're just getting a card out and all that. And in the meantime, uh, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the podcast. So that's okay. Um, Great, this is great. Anyway, well, while they're negotiating the contract for the Tour of Guatemala, I'll tell you that in the end, um, in the end, so last time we heard there was this counter-attack that had come from Chloe Digert. Uh, she battled on bravely and nibbled a bit of time back uh, against Annemiek uh, van Fluten, but in the end, uh, maybe a bit off more than she could chew. She was caught by Anna van der Breggen and Amanda Spratt. Sp- uh, Spratt was eventually dropped by van der Breggen and, uh, and, and Digert. No, it's no, it's no problem. Yeah, he is Superman. And uh, Phil, Phil Duggan's just, yeah, come over here. Yeah, he's on his way. We got from the Guatemalan president. That was the most extraordinary bit of, that was my favorite bit of podcastry that's ever happened. Here's Phil Duggan who's come back to us. Ah, Phil, didn't happen, did it? Didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, she left it all out there. And I mean, I I don't think you can complain really having a a rider take off 100k to go and and win by two minutes. I mean, there was a deserved winner today, I think. 
on uh I'm unda- undoubtedly Phil but what would be nagging away at me would be that thought because when we spoke when I spoke to you mm. it was all right in the balance still wasn't it and you said I think quite rightly that group's perfectly composed yeah, yeah. and yet for whatever the politics of the group didn't work out and, and Lizzie couldn't activate them and and that, that might, but it might at that point have been very different I think yeah of course F- at the back of everybody's mind it was uh, Anna van Bregen sitting on and, and as the kilometres went on and as the gap failed to come down that probably played more and more on people's minds and they maybe started playing a bit more poker and, and Lizzie spurred on I think it was like gold or nothing today for Lizzie and it was she, she didn't yeah. hold anything back in the way that she probably should have she, pur- she should have uh, played a bit poker a bit more and, and held back a bit um, but you know she can't. She can't be too disappointed. She left it all out there, and uh, like I say, the deserved winner was was Van Vluten today. Yeah, and that's so true, isn't it? And anyone who watched that race from 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 start to finish, David, could see Lizzie's uh, total yeah. dedication to the course today. I, I was just we always said on stage. I mean, she she rode a race that she can't regret. There's no regrets in the ride she made. She rode aggressively. She she was limited against. Uh, against the team of the Netherlands and she did what she could and as I said she there's so much pressure on her this yeah I think I mean the the few of the attacks that she made I mean I was sort of like half watching the race and half looking after Orla so you guys probably saw more of the race than me in fairness but from what I could make out she attacked quite a few times she did yeah and didn't force a decisive split and sort of disrupted the cohesion in the group Mm. and then obviously that that sort of um I think when you make an attack like that, you need to make sure that it's going to count and, and make sure you're going to force the, the strongest two or three riders away. Yeah. Um, that was a decisive point. But again, that was probably the occasion and uh, everything getting to her and, and probably being a bit too aggressive. You know, her mind wanted to do things that her body wasn't able to do, quite simply. So uh, uh, that's one thing she can maybe take away. But I'm sure she'll be back next year stronger, stronger than ever pretty honest assessment. I wonder if you'll be saying this to her or whether you'll catch it in slightly different terms when you speak to her later. Sir. No, I don't. F- I mean, I think she'll be the first to admit herself. You know, she'll look back and she'll say, I would have raced it differently. I would have sort of held back a bit more. Um, well, Tokyo next, isn't it? Let's face it, for the big, big targets, the big objectives. It is Tokyo. I think the way she's coped over the last 12 months with this build up, with the pressure, uh, with the time scale, you know, like coming back after having a baby, just to got to where she has done has been incredible i'm incredibly proud or will be very proud i'm sure when she can look back on this and um it's just been a great event really and uh yeah onwards and upwards to next year see if i can have a quick word with ola <laughs> hello ola she's grabbed the microphone but has been awed into silence by the strength of our podcasting Phil we'll let you go because you've got family to catch up with and everything but thanks for thanks for going along Orla I'll ca- see you next time there's no need to look so upset Orla looks absolutely terrified now she looks happy terrified cheers Phil take see care Phil. see you soon see bye yeah. bye well he's just done all the analysis that we needed that was the story of Lizzie Dignan's race which is um, unfortunate for her but but uh, as you say it would have been it would have been th- I mean for all of them Vluton's win was incredible if if Lizzie Dignan had somehow pulled that off against that Dutch team, it would have probably been a notch better still, you know. You know, and I think maybe, uh, as you said, Tokyo, better to make the mistakes here, as odd as that sounds, than in Tokyo, because she has been world champion once before. This was already, this was a big long shot trying to pull this off with the, the team she had and so quickly after Orla and becoming a mother. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, there will be lessons that we learned and that she can apply in Tokyo. Right, well, I don't know when we're going to podcast again, do you? Uh, maybe tomorrow, right? Oh, yeah, we could do. Yeah, because it's actually the men's road race, and that's going to be brilliant. Yeah, but, well, okay. Yeah, all right, let's do it tomorrow. Yeah. All right.
Cool. Well, we'll see if we can get this one online. And um, man, well, if we pull that off, that would be nothing short of phenomenal. Oh, Have you sorted your Guatemala contract out? No, now? no, that's happening tomorrow. It is as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's going <laughs> to. We've got some really good Chapter 3 customers. We've got a little community in Guatemala. You're joking. No, I am not joking. And they're amazing people. Can you take a few road books out there when you go? I will happily do that. Thank you very much. Yeah.